Amen. Thank you, Lee, for playing as well as we spend time worshiping. Lee was our fill-in this morning. It's nice to have people like that who can fill in for us, so it's a blessing to have that. Good morning. It's great to have each of you with us, and of course, it's always a blessing to be able to worship and celebrate God. Uh, I would like to just begin by saying thank you uh, for your generosity, specifically toward my family. Thank you for the kind words that I have heard over the last month, especially as we've been going through Pastor Appreciation Month. It is such a blessing to be a part of a team uh, where so many of us are able to work together. And I say that, um, I, I actually want to take a moment and just say thanks to all of the staff and the interns for the roles that they play as well. Uh, so often I'm the one who's up in front that you guys get to see, and because of that, uh, I get a lot of the credit. Now, when they don't do something right, I also get the blame, so that's okay. Uh, but that being said, they do an awful lot right. And I just want to be able to express my appreciation. I'll also go beyond that. Uh, last week was a great example of this. When the church works together, God does great things. And I want to thank each of you for the role that you guys played, especially last week as we uh, had our uh, 100th anniversary, as we celebrated the life of a church over uh, the last 100 years. So many people did so many things to help make things go well last week, and I'm just very grateful for that. Thank you all very much uh, for the role that you play. Now, I want to move quickly into the message because, uh, again, there's a lot going on here today. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. And in Philippians chapter 4, we see basically Paul instructing the people on something that uh, seems very simple, seems, um, seems important, but at the same time, I wonder how often we overlook it, even though it's incredibly important here. We're going to be in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 10. And of course, we've been kind of pouring into this. It's been a long series as we work through the entire book of Philippians, which uh, we are nearing the end of. This is what it says, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. As most of you probably are aware, this week is the time that people celebrate Halloween. Now, for many people, this is just a time to dress up and get candy. But it would be foolish to ignore the fact that there is a spiritual nature to a holiday like Halloween. People may question whether all this spiritual stuff, talking about the devil and demons, whether or not all this stuff is real. Well, I want you to know today that it is very much real. In fact, we see repeatedly within the scriptures 
that demons are a part of a spiritual battle that takes place all throughout human history. No doubt we have all come in contact with those, whether we realize it or not, who have been affected by demon activity throughout the years. We, we may not always recognize such things, but we've seen it in various places. Uh, this past year, we had the opportunity to go to Haiti. And while we were there, it just happened to be that our time, we, we actually came back on the day before Easter, which means that we were there on Good Friday. Now to us, Good Friday is a great time of year. Uh, unfortunately for them, I would not say that that is the same. Uh, the common, most common religion aside from Christianity in Haiti is voodoo. And we look at that and we think, well, that's not real stuff. Actually, you try convincing them that it's not real stuff. On one occasion, as we were driving, riding down the road, it was me and Donald Bearden and two of the missionaries. And as we're riding down the road, there is a group of individuals who are they're making all kinds of music and they're marching down the street. They've got the, the road completely blocked. And basically, we think it's just a parade and a festival. And the, the missionary looked over and he said, this is not a good thing. It was actually a, a band, they're called a rah-rah band, where basically uh, it is a celebration of Satan. Uh, that is the, the primary focus of voodooism is basically to stand against everything Christian. Their high holiday is Good Friday, and it's because that is the day that Jesus Christ was crucified, and in their mind, he was therefore defeated. Demonic activity is a very real thing. We were actually there, right next door to the facility where we stayed was a cemetery. And on Good Friday, the people acted as crazy as you could ever imagine. Very early in the morning, you could hear the drums begin to beat. And basically, they began to worship and to celebrate Satan throughout the entire day. It was an actually somewhat scary event for us. Locally, you say, well, that doesn't happen in the United States. I will tell you that there are those who struggle with demonic activity here. Perhaps you've seen some that they almost look like they've got something missing. There's this hollowness within their eyes. Maybe they are plagued with a demon of addiction. Maybe they struggle with a demon of sexual perversion. There are all kinds of demonic forces that are present. What I will tell you is that there are two applications here with demonic activity. One is it is possible for an individual to struggle with possession. You say, well, pastor, you're talking about really crazy things, but these are things that are in the Bible, so it's okay for me to talk about. For example, you have the individual who Jesus, as he comes to the region of the Gerasenes, the guy comes out and the guy has been physically violent. He's been relegated to a cave where they've tried to chain him up to try to keep him from hurting himself and hurting other people, but he continually breaks the chains. And he comes and he sees Jesus coming and he basically cries out, what do you have to do with me? And Jesus asks him, who are you? He says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And clearly this was a demon that was in him. And Jesus cast the demon out, cast the demons into a herd of pigs and they run off into the water. There's a great spiritual message within here, but what I want you to catch is apparently demonic possession was a real thing. And if it happened in the Bible, guess what? It can happen today. For others though, it's not a demonic possession issue. It is a demonic oppression issue where they may still be filled with the Spirit of God, but Satan continually bombards them. He's always 
pressing in, trying to defeat them, trying to get them to a point where they're ready to give up. It's not always that an individual is filled with an evil spirit, but sometimes they may be surrounded by evil spirits. I share all of this to introduce a contrasting idea of closeness, and you will understand as we go through here, just as evil is near, according to our passage, the Lord is also near. This can be applied in many ways. Certainly, it is true that the coming judgment of God is very near. As we look at the events that occur in our world, we constantly see prophecies being fulfilled, which indicate that the end is very near. So in that aspect, the Lord is very near. Very soon, he will come and he will put an end to this world as we know it. And he will usher in an eternity with the Almighty God. And in that aspect, we love the idea that the Lord is very near. But another important application of this principle is that the Lord is present even now among his people. The moment you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, we are told that the Holy Spirit is given to you. It is the gift that Jesus had promised to his disciples. Following the crucifixion and the resurrection, he instructed them to go to Jerusalem where they were to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the Comforter to come upon them. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, the Holy Spirit showed up. And when the Holy Spirit showed up, incredible things happened. The impact was amazing. There were tongues of fire that rested upon the people. There was the sound of a mighty rushing wind that caused even those who were not present in that building to come out looking to see what's happening in this place. There was something amazing that took place. And then as the disciples began to explain what was happening, you had individuals who spoke in their own language, yet everybody understood in their own language. So what you have is, imagine for just a moment that Hugh only speaks English, and then you've got someone over here that speaks German, and one who speaks French, and one who speaks Spanish, and one who speaks Chinese, and one who speaks Arabic. But as Hugh begins to explain the good news of Jesus Christ, all of them understand clearly in their own language. Some of these disciples, we've looked at them before, and we've we've seen them almost as cowards. Peter, who on the night of Jesus' arrest would actually deny even knowing Christ because he was afraid that he might be grouped together with him and maybe he would be punished. Peter stands up and proclaims a very, very direct message, calling the people out for the crucifixion of Christ. He spoke with a boldness that he did not have before. And my question is, where did that boldness come from? On that particular day, 3,000 people would give their hearts to Christ, and it is because the Holy Spirit came in and he moved upon people, specifically on Peter, and then all of those who would receive the message of Christ. Certainly, those who heard that message today could say, that day could say, the Lord is near. But let me suggest to you also that the term near is a very relative term. 
I remember as a college student making that drive back home to Northern Virginia. It was about an eight and a half hour drive. And there was a point where basically on Interstate 95, I would pass a specific landmark and I would think I'm almost there. I'm close. I'm near. Now, I still had another hour to go, but that was irrelevant. To me, I was a whole lot closer than I was when I got started. And within the, ne- within the next hour, I would be home. So the term near can mean mer- very, very different things. I spoke earlier relating to demons and regarding the fact that there is a difference between possession and oppression. I would say that the same is true regarding the Holy Spirit and what he desires to do in us. The reality is for many of us, it shows up in the brokenness that takes place in church. I believe today that there are many in the church that are broken because the Holy Spirit is near, but only near. Remember the relative term. For some of us, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and that's what God has promised to us. Remember, Jesus promised that Spirit to come and fall upon the people, and the people would be filled with this Spirit, and it would literally begin to splash out of them onto other people when they would come come in contact with others. But many of us in the church no longer expect the Spirit of God to come and dwell in us, but we expect the Spirit of God to come and dwell around us. Let me tell you, there's a really big difference between the two. Some of us, we are experiencing the blessing of God to the point that we expect God to completely transform who we are. But for many of us, we really don't expect God to move in such a mighty way to be that real. We come to a place like church with the expectation that when we get there, the Spirit of God's going to be there and He's going to move and it's going to be something exciting. We want to feel the Spirit of God, but do you know that if the Spirit of God dwells in you, then the Spirit of God ought to be something you experience outside of this place too? Do you know that if the Spirit of God dwells in you, the sinful habits that dominated your life before coming to Christ, that those sinful habits no longer should have a place in you because it is now the place where the Spirit of God resides? I'm afraid that for many of us in the church, we no longer expect genuine, true transformation in the body of Christ. And it is because we are content with getting just a little bit of the Spirit of God, when in reality the Spirit of God wants to completely envelop everything about us. The Lord is near, but He's not content with just hanging out with you on Sunday. He wants to be a part of your everything. One of the reasons we like being with the Spirit of God is because there are times that maybe we don't want the Spirit of God to get in the way of the things we want to do. I want to stick the Spirit of God in my back pocket today and just kind of leave Him there for a little bit because I want to do some other things. The Lord is near and He is not content unless He truly is a part of everything that we have and everything that we are. For many of us, I fear that in the body of Christ we have become very intent on our own goodness, us doing certain things and knowing that if we do things just right, then we'll be good between us and God, when in reality what we really need is the Holy Spirit to simply move in and take over. You know, one of the things that I would say is that our society, this is, this is not new to the church today. This is something that 
the body of Christ has had to deal with for a long time. In fact, the same struggle that existed in Martin Luther and John Wesley's day is what, we're, what I'm describing to you now. In Martin Luther's case, the Catholic Church had become so focused on works in order to receive salvation. If you're going to be a Christian, then you've got to give this much money. You've got to do this thing. You've got to go to church, and you've got to go to confession, and you've got to do all of these things. You've got to say a specific prayer. And there were all these things that identified, you do these things, and therefore you will be a child of God. This Tuesday, October 31st, will mark exactly 500 years since he nailed what has become known as his 95 Theses to a door at the Wittenberg Castle Church, where he objected to 95 practices of the Catholic Church, things that basically were all about doing certain things as opposed to experiencing faith in Jesus Christ. In his case, it was during a reading of the book of Romans where he felt convicted that it is not a salvation by works, but rather a salvation by faith. And he realized that he had to put his faith in Christ above all else. By the way, we are a fruit of the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation basically led to all the churches that uh, took a path outside of Catholicism. That is us all because someone recognized that it wasn't enough to just have the Holy Spirit close by. But the Holy Spirit had to be in us and had to transform who we are. The same is true for John Wesley as he struggled as a pastor and even as a missionary. This was an individual who had chosen to be faithful, to be good, to do everything that the law required of him. This was a man who had basically become what we would look at and say a great godly man. Yet this was a man who on May the 24th, 1738, while in a prayer meeting, God moved mightily in his life. Remember, he's already a pastor. He's already been a missionary. He's already done all of these great things. He would recall it this way, he said, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt that I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. This was a man who knew what it was to be good. This was a man who was faithful to the Lord. He was in church. He was doing all the things that everybody else would expect of an individual who's godly. Yet here it was on this occasion where the Holy Spirit moved upon him. And the Lord became not something that was in the vicinity, but it was actually in his heart. And he felt his heart strangely warmed. And both of these men, when the Holy Spirit moved in, it changed their perspective. And it ought to change our perspective as well. James chapter 4 verse 8 tells us that being near to God is not something that is unattainable. In fact, it tells us to draw near to God. And if you do, you know what will happen? He will draw near to you. To each of us, we are given the promise that God desires that closeness, that intimacy with us. 
We're told in Isaiah chapter 6 of an occasion where, uh, where Isaiah has a vision of the Lord. And on this particular occasion, we see the effect of that nearness, that intimacy with God. As he receives this vision, he sees the Lord high and lifted up. And we're told that the train of God's robe filled his temple with glory. And all of a sudden, something strikes in Isaiah's mind. He realizes that here he is, an unholy man in front of a holy God. And he cries out, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Let me tell you that when we begin to experience the presence of God, not just on the surface, but intimately, we will naturally become aware of how much we genuinely need him. In Isaiah's case, we're told that the Lord took tongs and took a coal off the altar and he went and he touched the lips of Isaiah, basically making him clean and pure. The closer we get to God, the more acutely aware we will be of our need for him. For he is the only one who can genuinely forgive us and cleanse us and make us whole again. When we look at, uh, at the book of Exodus, as Moses experienced his first real intimate experience with God, it was at the burning bush. In Exodus 3, uh, verse 6, Moses is in a conversation with God, and as he's in this conversation, God reveals who he is. He says, I am the God of your forefathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we're told that at hearing those words, Moses hid his face because he knew he didn't deserve to be in the presence of God. I want you to think about this for a minute. God desires to dwell in you. It's not that you deserve it, but he desires it. He wants to be there as a part of who you are. And as a part of that, he wants to transform you. He wants you to be made new, to be transformed. What a privilege it is for us to know that the Holy Spirit desires to dwell in us. As we experience his presence, I hope that you will recognize it is a privilege to experience it. It is his blessing. The next thing we see in our original passage here in Philippians chapter 4 is a list of things that we ought to think about. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I will tell you that when we experience the Lord in a very near, intimate way, what naturally happens is we will begin to look at things differently. Psalm 119, verse 10 through 11 says, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Some of you have been in the body of Christ for so long that basically you, you know the routine. You feel like maybe you don't even have to do some of the things you used to have to do. But I'm going to tell you, you must always seek the Lord. No matter how long you've been a child of God, no matter what you may be going through today, He is always going to be your answer. When was the last time you spent time in God's Word? When was the last time you spent time intentionally praying? I'm not talking about right before you ate your meal. 
I'm not talking about when you got up in the morning or when you went to bed at night saying your prayers. When was the last time you simply spent time, intimate time, getting to know the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Do you know that that's what he desires of you? He desires to know you and to experience you in a very, very personal way. When we look at the New Testament church, we see that they were a church that were devoted to certain things. In Acts 2.42, we're told that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They wanted so much to know what God had said through Jesus Christ. So they paid attention to what Peter and John and James and Andrew and all these guys had to say. And the reason was because they wanted what they had experienced. They wanted to know what it was like to be with Jesus. What were the things that Jesus taught? What were the things that Jesus did? They wanted to know what it was like to live as those who were filled with the Spirit of God. We talked about that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon them. They wanted to know what Peter had to say because they saw Peter as one who was filled with the Spirit of God. Let me encourage you to go back to God's Word as your foundation. I told you already that I believe that the Lord wants to be near and it is much more about an intimate relationship with him than it is about the things you do. But I'm going to tell you that when you experience that intimacy with him, the things that you do ought to change. You ought to want to spend time in God's word. You ought to want to spend time speaking with him. You ought to want to be able to share with others who were in need to be a blessing to them. Spend time getting to know who God is because of the intimacy that he has made available to you. And of course, this leads to my final point this morning, which is simply this. Just do it. Put into practice the things that you have seen, the things that you have heard, the words that Paul uses here. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. What happens is the way we live will reveal an awful lot about our perspective. It will tell the world around us who we really are. If I act like I did before I was a Christian, did becoming a Christian really have any impact on me whatsoever? We need to act like we've really seen something that we really believe. We read in Luke 14, verse 26 through 27, Jesus' words as he is addressing those who would follow after him. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I'm going to tell you, first of all, Jesus had no desire for people to hate other folks. But he wanted them to realize that their number one love had to be for him. If you love me, you will obey what I have commanded. Do you genuinely love Jesus Christ today? I share all of this with you today. I've been really challenged over the last week or so. Last Sunday, I stood up here and as a part of the offering, I mentioned something that I had seen recently as the chaplain of the Clemson Police Department. Uh, while I was in downtown Clemson, there were individuals that um, 
It seemed like every conversation we had was about some type of sexual perversion or drug abuse or alcohol or just a, a completely defeated lifestyle. And although that was an, a very accurate depiction of what I experienced downtown, I painted it almost as if they out there, the broken world around us, that they need help. Can I tell you this morning that I see that same brokenness in the church quite often? And I wonder if sometimes it isn't because of the fact that we have settled for the Holy Spirit's experience as Him being with us rather than being in us. We've tried to do our best to do good instead of allowing His Spirit to truly transform who we are. Maybe some of you have been in the church all your lives. Some of you guys have been in the church longer than I've been born, lived, all that stuff. Anyways, you know what I mean. Just because you've been in church does not make you a man of God or a woman of God. Just because you keep a list of do's and don'ts does not make you a man or a woman of God. It is a right relationship with Jesus Christ. In John Wesley's case, in Martin Luther's case, they had to come to the realization it wasn't about you doing. It was about you experiencing. I want to challenge you today to experience the Spirit of God in you. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the faithfulness that you show to us. I pray that you would help us to live as those who have been redeemed. But I pray most of all that you would help us to experience you. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. Help us to know you personally, to know that this is more than just more than just keeping a list. It's about knowing you. Lord, I pray that you would help us in response to what we know to then live a righteous life. Lord, thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the gift of your spirit. Move upon us in such a mighty way that your work will continue to move forward. And we give you praise for what you do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, I will say, if you're going to be baptized this morning, you guys can go ahead and get ready if you're participating with the service. Uh, I do want to take a moment and just explain what we do with baptism, and then at the same time, I'm going to then turn it over to someone else who is going to share her story from a recent mission trip. But let me first share that we are told in Scripture that when an individual repents of their sin, that there is great rejoicing in heaven. I don't know about you, but when I received Christ, I did not hear the angels celebrating and shouting and doing all of that stuff. I believe that they did because God's Word tells me that. In the case of the individuals who are going to be baptized today, they likely did not hear the shouting and the screaming. Um, I want you today to give them a glimpse of what heaven must have been like. Uh, I'm going to baptize uh, two individuals this morning. We have, I think, four or five that are going to be baptized next Sunday as well. Uh, family members who could not be here this week, so they're planning on being baptized next week instead. Um, but we're going to baptize them, and I, I've asked them 
the questions that they're going to be asked in here. Basically, I'm going to ask them, first of all, have you given your heart to Jesus Christ? Second of all, do you plan to live for him for the rest of your life? And the third one is, do you want to share anything else? They have to say yes to the first two. They have to be able to uh, identify that they had a conversion experience, that they confessed their sins to God and that he forgave them of their sins. They have to be able to identify that they plan to live for him for the rest of their lives. The third option they can say no to, but what I'm asking them is, do you want to share any more of your story? Uh, I have a feeling, because I've talked with both of them, neither of them are going to do the third one, but I want to give them that opportunity because you never know how people might respond. There's nothing magical about the water that's here. It's just ordinary water. But what we have within the act of baptism is a model of, basically we're following the model that Jesus gave us. John the Baptist had been baptizing people, and as he's baptizing people, Jesus comes to him and basically says, I need you, I want you to baptize me. And John the Baptist is no fool. He realizes, I don't even deserve this. He says, I don't even deserve to untie the sandals of yours. But of course, Jesus says, I need you to do this. And Jesus is baptized in preparation for God to do great things. We have later on a story of an Ethiopian eunuch as Philip is uh, with him on this uh, road back to Ethiopia. And Philip is sharing with him the good news. And this Ethiopian eunuch believes and he receives Christ. And they come upon a body of water. And as they do, the Ethiopian eunuch says, look, here is water. Here is a body of water. What is there to keep me from being baptized right here and right now? And Philip baptizes this Ethiopian eunuch in celebration, almost in testimony of what God has done. These two individuals who will be baptized today have both received Christ. And what they are doing is obediently walking in the footsteps of of Jesus while also testifying to the work that God has done in them. I want you as the body of Christ to celebrate with them. When they come out of the water, now I know you guys celebrate. Yesterday was a Clemson game, and I know it was wet, but you guys celebrated those Clemson games. You guys shout and you scream, and you act like crazy people sometimes because it's the greatest thrill in the world. I'm going to tell you there is no greater thrill than to see individuals whose lives have been redeemed by the grace of Jesus Christ. If you get excited because of a Clemson game, you ought to be even more excited about the redemption that Jesus Christ has offered to these individuals. So when they come out of the water, I want you to celebrate with them. I want you to rejoice over that. Now, I'm going to go get ready as well, and I'm going to ask Taylor Davis if she would come up. Taylor is one of our young ladies, and she has had the opportunity to go and to serve on a mission field. And as a part of that, uh, I felt like you guys needed to hear, y'all needed to hear a little bit about what God did through her and in her. So I did put a time limit on her so that basically we can still do the baptism. So thank you very much for sharing with us. Good morning. So my name is Taylor Davis, and two weeks ago, God sent me to Columbia, South America, in this big city called Barranquilla, to just share his love. Um, And I was challenged in so many ways, and so I wanted to kind of share some of those things and some stories with you this morning about how amazing God is. So I'd never been on a trip out of the country before, or even flown on an airplane, so I was (laughs) really overwhelmed with everything that was new. And I knew that I would be sharing God's love with other people and helping them to develop in their faith, but I didn't realize that God would also be helping me to grow in my faith. And that was a really awesome surprise. (laughs) 
So when I first arrived in Colombia, I saw poverty everywhere. And I expected, because of that, that there would also be sadness and grief everywhere. But I was wrong. There's actually joy everywhere. The people had the most real and beautiful smiles. And on that Sunday, we actually went to a Colombian church. Um, this church was in the process of being built, so we actually met in a house next door to it. And this house was small, crumbling, and completely falling apart. But I'm telling you, it was the most beautiful building that I've ever stepped inside of. The people began to pray, and I didn't understand everything they were saying because I don't speak Spanish. But I did understand that they asked for very little. I find that when I pray, I say, God, please help me with this, or please be with me in this. But the amount that they thanked God for greatly outweighed what they asked him for. They would say, gracias, Señor, which means thank you, God, over and over again for everything that they could think of. And it blew my mind because they have so much less than us, and yet they're more thankful than us. And that really humbled me. And then the worship began. Oh, my goodness. It was so different. Here, if we're feeling the Holy Spirit, we might raise a hand and um, we might sing a little louder, but there they sang at the very tops of their lungs and they motioned and they gestured and they led me to believe that Jesus was standing right in front of them. It was like they were having a conversation with God. And this is so incredibly beautiful. And then the pastor, who's this amazing woman who God called to be a missionary 20 years ago, began to speak about how God is life. And she said a verse that I've heard so many times and even saying before, but I finally got it when she said it. She said, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. And I understood it because I would have rather been there in that falling apart building than anywhere else in the world because that's where the presence of the Lord was at in that moment. Better, I would have rather been there than any of the bucket list destinations like Paris, France, or Hawaii because that's where God was at. And I'm telling you this morning that it doesn't matter who you are, what the building you're in looks like, what race you are, what language that you speak, or even what country you're in. The presence of God is the most beautiful place that any person can ever be in. And so after finally understanding this verse, I was just so humbled at the fact that I got to be in the presence of the Lord with these people, just like I'm in the presence of the Lord with you now. And so the next day, God humbled me again because I was working with some children um, in a school and this woman named Deborah came up to me and she um, had these really bright green shoes on and I never noticed people's shoes but for some reason I noticed hers and I said, I like your shoes and she said, thank you and I didn't really think much about it, it was just a normal conversation but then 10 minutes later she came up to me and said, I want to give you my shoes and I said, I can't take your shoes those are your shoes. And I, she insisted and insisted. And so, I mean, I'm just going to let you guys on a little secret. I have the smallest feet in the whole world. So I told her, I said, okay, fine. If your shoes fit me, then I'll take them. Of course they fit because God is absolutely amazing. So I was so humbled that this woman who had so much less than me would want to give me her shoes. And it reminded me of how we don't really have um, lots to offer God. Like my shoes, um, in the picture you can see them on her feet. They were really gross looking, they weren't very pretty. And that's kind of how we try to give our goodness to God. 
it's not any reason that he would want to give us his love. Like, there's no reason that she would have wanted to give me her shoes because mine looked pretty or anything like that. It was just that she wanted to give them to me, just like God wants to give us his love. It's not because we earned them. And that humbled me so much. Um, and so I really just want to challenge you all this morning in the same way that God challenged me to be humble. And that doesn't mean you have to go to another country like I did. It just means that you have to listen to God and let him give you humility. Um, thank you so much for letting me speak with you this morning. And thank you for those of you that supported me financially and with prayers. Thank you.